Amen. Holy is the Lord. Thank you, Katie and worship team, for leading us in worship. So Tom, Pastor Tom has often joked that whenever Pastor Mitchell would go on vacation, that he would time them in a way to where he would end up receiving the difficult texts. And so now I see that Tom has been following in that same example. As I looked at the passage for this week, I'm like, uh, thank you for that, Tom. I see how it is. And the challenge with the text for this week is that it's so long, it's so dense and jam-packed, and so it's going to take an extra 30 minutes of sermon. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But it's really full of many twists and turns, and there's a lot in it. So if you'll fasten your seatbelts, we're going to go through a big ride throughout this text. And so here we've been in the past few weeks in the high priestly prayer towards the end of the farewell discourse. And here we're gonna find Jesus turn his attention toward his disciples. So if you'll take out your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 17, we'll be reading from verses nine to 19. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is God's word. So the first thing that we see Jesus do in this part of his prayer is he he is establishing that These disciples belong to him. They are his possession. In fact, he makes it a point to make it clear, I am not praying for the world. I am praying for these disciples that you, Father, have given to me, as they both share joint ownership of the disciples. And you can get into a big discussion about the sovereignty of God and election and stuff here. But we don't have time to get into that this morning. But what we will be learning through this is that Jesus is showing us that it is no small deal to belong to God. You see, there's a a general kind of love that God has for all people, believers and non-believers alike. We're all God's creation. We've all been created in his image. But there is a kind of love that God has for his people, those who belong to him as his children, that is way different, that is way 
way more significant, way more enormous than this general kind of love that everyone has. It's not like we're, we're using a service like Spotify free, which I think is playing in the background right now. <laughs> it's not like we're using this free service and then we just, we pay a bit, we, we pay a bit a month and then we just get the same experience plus no ads. So it's like the same thing plus a few perks. This is not the case here because you just can't, you simply can't compare the two kinds of loves because it is a big thing to be God's possession. In fact, Jesus so strongly stresses that we are his possession that he goes as far to say, they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And that's a pretty big statement, because I mean, you would think, yeah, I get it, I'm not of this world, but I mean, surely I'm more of the world than Jesus is, right? No, we are no more of this world than Jesus is. We are no less meant for heaven than Jesus is. Are we deserving of this? Absolutely not. But we don't have to be, because Jesus made a way, he made us worthy, by his atoning sacrifice. He made us worthy of heaven. And so whenever we belong to Jesus, it is a big thing. To, go, to belong to Jesus is to undergo a radical transformation. As the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new has come. It's like we undergo this radical restructuring of our spiritual makeup, and now we emerge as this brand new being. That's what belonging to Jesus does. And there's more here in that we share in the communion and the fellowship of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit through the Holy Spirit in us. Is anyone here a sports fan? I am not a sports fan. I've just never been able to get into it. But I have many friends who are. And it's so funny just watching them whenever they get really into their teams. They become a completely different person whenever you put them in front of a screen and their favorite team is playing at the game. I'll go to like a Super Bowl party and I'll go for the, the company, the snacks, the commercials, and on the off chance that there's going to be a halfway decent halftime show. And then I'll watch my friends who really are into sports. And if their team is playing, oh, watch out. They'll like be just like following them, just like making motions as if they're remotely controlling them from their couches and stuff. And then if their team wins, they're like, yes, we won. I'm like, no, you didn't. They won. You were lying on the couch eating Doritos. They'll be like, we scored the winning touchdown. No, they scored the winning touchdown. You wouldn't last three yards without falling over with all the food that you've eaten tonight. But then I had to understand that there's a special symbiotic relationship between a sports team and their fans. Whenever a sports team experiences losses, so do the fans. Whenever they experience victory, so do the fans as well. They share in all of that with their teams. And so that's the same kind of thing that we have with God, that the joy, the love, the fellowship, the victory that exists in God, we get to be a part of that with him. 
So we can say, yeah, we won because we are on the Lord's side. Amen? And it is belonging to God that makes everything else possible. And so let's revisit this scene we're at here. So Jesus is is here, and he's been telling his disciples that he's about to leave. And where he's going, the disciples can't follow. And so they're going to be in for a different world without the physical presence of Jesus. It's kind of like in those movies. You ever seen those movies where the sun goes down and then all the creatures and monsters come in? And this is kind of like what it is. Whenever Jesus' physical presence is gone, the enemy comes in going for the kill, taking advantage of the situation. And let me tell you, the enemy is not one to be trifled with because the enemy is the master deceiver. I heard D.A. Carson say, Satan is the most capable theologian. He knows how to take the scriptures and to twist them and to cause people to fall. He is not one to be underestimated. 1 Peter 5.8 says, The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. And Jesus warns us about him in Matthew whenever he says, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but can't kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, this isn't fun to talk about. It's very uncomfortable and, in fact, rather scary. But it's so important that we realize just what we're up against. And Jesus knows this. He knows that we are no match for the enemy when left to our own devices. But as we have been learning throughout this whole series... Jesus is not going to leave us alone and empty-handed, for he's going to send us his Spirit to give us everything that we need. We found that the Spirit comes to give us conviction, to bring us peace and joy, and now we see that the Spirit is going to come and bring us protection. And so we see Jesus cry out to God on our behalf, asking for our protection. And so he says, Holy Father. Holy Father what? That's it. No, that's not really it, but it kind of is it. Okay, Pastor Danny's lost his marbles here. Bear with me here, because there is too much going on here in this title that we can't afford to miss out on. So we're going to hit the pause button on the scriptures right now and take a look at this title. Holy Father. To our modern ears, it doesn't sound like an unusual title for God. We've probably used it in our our own prayers. But back in this time with these disciples, Holy Father would have been a radical, unlikely title for God because you have these two things that are seemingly opposite of one another. You have holy, omnipotent, all-powerful transcendence. And then you have Father, familial, affectionate, loving, Abba. These two things, it seemed, did not really go together. In fact, we still have a hard time putting them together today. Some will say, I prefer to think of God as a God of love. You know, he's a loving God with a big heart. He doesn't get angry. He's not wrathful. And then you have others who are like, I prefer to think of God as this distant, transcendent being that is unapproachable and doesn't have time for this emotional fluff. 
And both of those are wrong. We can't create God in our own image and customize him in a way that focuses on the things that we're less uncomfortable with, because then we have cheapened God in our own eyes. And brothers and sisters, we can't afford to do that. We must see and realize God for who he really is, for how he has been revealed in the scriptures. So Holy Father, this is the gospel in two words, Holy Father. Because back in the Old Testament times, the holiness of God kept him at a great distance from his people that could not be crossed. But now, by the Son, that distance has been breached. And now, in fact, the holiness of God brings us closer unto him. You see what's going on there? It actually brings us closer, and this holiness becomes our protection. This is the protection that Jesus is asking his Father for on our behalf, and it is with his holiness, the power of his name, that we are protected. And this is a process that we call sanctification, the process of being made holy. And there are three things that we need to understand about sanctification. The first is that sanctification comes to us through his word. You could also say sanctification comes to us through the Holy Spirit because they go hand in hand. Whenever we read the word of God, we read the inspired words of the Holy Spirit and we are enlightened by the light that he shines upon them as, we, as he increases our understanding. Whenever we pray in the Spirit, in a way that is consistent with God's word. And whenever we apply it in our own lives and we walk in the spirit and live in accordance with his word. Because let me tell you, without this, we don't stand a chance against the enemy. Does anyone like uh, Christopher Nolan films? They're such great movies. Uh, they're always such beautifully made, and he hasn't fallen into the CGI fest that most of Hollywood does. But they're always really deep, always multifaceted, always profound. And there's this one movie that he directed, which is Batman Begins. And in this movie, we see the origins of Batman. We see Bruce Wayne in the process of becoming Batman. And so then early in the film, He's trying to find himself, and so then he starts studying with this great master warrior. And as part of his training, um, they're out on, on the top of this frozen over pond in the dead of winter. It's snowing everywhere. And so Bruce Wayne, played by Christian Bale, is out there with his master, played by the great Liam Neeson. And so they're going at it for a few minutes, and then the master falls backward, and then Bruce takes out his sword and puts it right next to his throat. And he says, yield. And then the master wisely says in that perfect Liam Neeson voice that I can't even do. But he says, you have not beaten me. You have sacrificed sure footing for a killing stroke. To which the ice breaks underneath him. And then Bruce Wayne falls straight into the freezing water. And that's what we can expect whenever we place our feet on any other foundation other than the word of God. It will fall or it'll crumble beneath us. 
Rather, we are to follow Jesus' own example. Do you remember in, uh, in Matthew? Matthew 4, whenever Jesus goes out in the wilderness to be tested by the devil? He's out there for 40 days and nights, and he's had no food. And so then Satan comes to him to try to tempt him. He's like, hey, look at all these rocks here. You could have a whole bakery going on here. Why don't you turn these rocks into bread? To which Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Score one for Jesus. So then the devil takes him to uh, the top of the temple and says, throw yourself down so that your, your angels will catch you. For it is written that he will command his angels concerning you. And then Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Oh, snap. And so then he takes him again to a high mountain and shows him all these kingdoms. And he said, you see all this out here? This can all be yours if you just bow down and worship me. Then Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I just want to shout whenever I read that and just say, yes, go Jesus in your face. And you see what he did here. He used the word of God to fight his battle here. And if Jesus, the son of God, needed to use the word to fight his battles, how much more do we need to depend on God's word to fight our own battles? We desperately need the word of God, and we have everything that we need right here. And this is why we call it the sword of the spirit, as what we see in Galatians, because it is our offense against the enemy. So the second thing that we need to know about sanctification is that it is active on our part, and it's fueled by the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's not one of those things where it's like we close our eyes, we kick back, and we're like, all right, Holy Spirit, sanctify me, do your thing, and then you just go through life coasting on autopilot. No, this requires us to use our own spiritual muscles and sweat a little bit, or a lot. And this is what Paul calls working out our own salvation is what we see in Philippians. This doesn't mean that we're achieving our salvation by works, but rather by the power of the Spirit, He is producing the strength in us in which to do these works. So we ought to be putting our own effort into it as we work toward the end. Not working for it, but working by it. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, God is not necessarily interested in us sinning less as much as He is in us being more holy. You see, if we focus on trying to sin less and trying to avoid every kind of temptation you can think of, then we've missed the point. But rather, if our focus is on seeking the Lord, on desiring to be holy, to be like Him, then we will find that we sin less as a byproduct of this. We'll find our desire for sin diminish. We'll find our propensity to fall into those temptations. We'll find that they become less and less because we become more and more conformed to who Jesus Christ is. We need sanctification. And then the third thing that we need to understand is that sanctification protects us to the end. 
So before I expound on this, we first need to address the elephant in the upper room. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Jesus is talking to 11 disciples here. Keep that in mind. Remember, Judas left a while ago to go carry out his evil scheme. And so Jesus is talking to the 11. Well, what about Judas? It seems that things didn't work out very well for him at the end. Does sanctification really work in the long run? Does it keep us forever? It's important to understand what's going on. Here we really see the sovereignty of God at play. We find that Judas is not only not present physically, but that he never was present spiritually. Jesus or Judas never truly belonged to Jesus. So it's not a case that Judas was once a righteous man and then he, he fell into decline and then try as he might, Jesus tried everything to save him but couldn't and failed him. This is not what's going on here. This was because he's described, or Judas is described as being the son doomed to destruction so that the scripture could be fulfilled. And we have people like that in our churches today who, who go to church, who are good, moral, upstanding people, but yet they don't truly know God. They don't really belong to God. And so, that's not what Jesus is referring to whenever he says sanctification protects us to the end. He, he's saying that for everyone who he calls his children, all, who, all us who believe in Christ Jesus, we are held to the very end. He will never let us go. If you come from a Reformed or Presbyterian background, you know this as the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. If you come from more of a Baptist background, you know this as once saved, always saved. To tell you the truth, I don't really care for either of those terms, and I'm not the only one. Harry Ironside, who was a pastor at Moody Church many, many years ago, he said, instead of perseverance of the saints, it should be called perseverance of the Savior, because it is his grip on me and not mine on him that keeps me. For if it, depended on my, if it depended on my own grip on him, I would surely fall. And then J.D. Greer from over at Summit Church, he says, instead of thinking of it as once saved, always saved, we ought to think of it as once saved, forever following. And that whenever we are saved, it is inevitable that we will continue and continue to follow Jesus and produce good works. We will sin as the disciples did. We might even fall away for a short time, but he will always bring us back because he will hold us forever. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing will snatch us out of his hands. So we know that sanctification never runs out. Now we've been talking a lot about sanctification here, but there's still something that we haven't hit upon yet. If we look at verse 19 here, Jesus describes himself as being sanctified. Verse 19, look at that with me. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So what does that even mean, Jesus being sanctified? I mean, he's holy and sinless, right? 
Why would he need to be sanctified? Well, it's important to know that in this sense, sanctification is not the process of being made holy, but rather being set apart. And we see this being used throughout Scripture, such as Mount Sinai, for example, was set apart for the purpose of the law being given. It's something that's put aside and intended for a specific thing. And so Jesus is saying that he has been sanctified, set apart for the mission of the cross. And just as he has been sanctified, so we have also been sanctified. In the sense we talked about earlier, we have been set apart from sin. But here in this sense, we have been sanctified, set apart for mission. This is why Jesus did not take us with him, because we have a job to do. We all know the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. He has given us a task here to do, so this is why we need protection. Not just because there's dangers lurking about, but because we have a job to do, and it's a dangerous, hostile world out there, because we live in a world that hates Jesus and that hates us. We see it more and more in our culture. Our culture is opposed to the things of the Lord. It becomes less and less fashionable to claim the name of Jesus that is accurate to how he is presented in the scripture. We are here to engage the world. Now, how do we live in this world, be in the world, yet not of the world? This is something that people have been confused about ever since the church started. And we see two extremes. We see one where the solution is, okay, we conform and we change ourselves so that we become more um, loved by the world. So you'll hear people say, you know what? Um, Biblical sexuality just comes across as hateful. I don't wanna be seen as hateful. Or people don't like to be told there's only one way. I don't want people to think I'm bigoted. So why don't we just say that we've transcended this and we've moved on with the times? And if you go that route, then you've completely lost it. And may we never fall into that trap right there. We see that sadly more and more again in our culture today, in the church even. The other side of it is to, okay, let's seclude ourselves. Let's become like a monastery or a cult, and let's go and cut ourselves off from every kind of luxury that the world has, everything that we find here on earth. Um, Even if it's not evil or sinful, we're just gonna cut ourselves off of that and be our own protected little society. And that's not what, what God has intended either. Now, I would gather that most of us here are somewhere in the middle, but closer to the latter because we might be um, in tune with our culture, you know, we're not, we're not legalistic, we enjoy a good movie every once in a while, a good TV show. Uh, we haven't compromised on um, biblical truth, but yet if we look at how we're spending our time, we find that we've been spending all our time with believers. We haven't been out there engaging with the lost in the world. And I am not putting down being involved in church activity. We, we need that for sure. But we haven't been called to just stick with our own for everything. 
I mean, what good is a light to bring a light to an already well-lit place? We are called to be salt and light in the darkness. It is in the darkness where your light is going to make the most difference. If this was what Jesus had in mind for us just to seclude ourselves and become comfortable in our own Christian bubble, then there would be no need for a high priestly prayer. There'd be no need for an upper room discourse. Jesus would say, hey guys, guess what? I'm going away and I'm taking you with me. Passage over. But that's not what Jesus had in mind. He had us here for a reason, to bring about the salvation of the world through us, through his church. And I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. It's so easy for people like me who are in ministry, constantly surrounded by the things of the Lord, constantly working with godly people, visiting church members. It's so easy for me to get caught up in my own Christian bubble that I haven't been spending the time that I need to to be a light in the world. And so I've been convicted about that as I've studied this passage. And so I've been like, Lord, would you open up avenues to where I can be a light into someone's life who desperately needs the gospel. And I encourage you all to pray that same thing with me, that we could make a difference wherever we have an opportunity that Jesus' light may shine through us. And I can understand why we would have this tendency to sequester ourselves in the comfort of our own fellowships. I mean, we are supposed to be in fellowship with one another, but we can get too comfortable, and I get it. Whenever I look at culture and I see the things that our children are having to, to deal with that I would have never thought possible whenever I was growing up, whenever I see how media and culture is increasingly hostile to the things of the Lord, how you see deconstruction happening and apostasy and all these things, it just looks so bleak. And so I can understand wanting to just put a shelter over you and hide yourself and be safe. I get that for sure. But you know what? It's not as if God woke up one day and said, whoa, how did things get like this? I didn't see that coming. You guys better go get some shelter and protection because um, you're not going to last out there. God has created all of you and called all of you for this time and place. God knows exactly what he's doing as he has you where you are right now. And you know what? God is not going to let go of that which is rightfully his. He loves us too much because we belong to him. He has full ownership over us. And so he will protect us from everything that the world throws at us because he will keep us forever as we have been set apart for his mission. It's a dangerous mission in a dangerous world. But God has called us for this day, and he will uphold us by his holiness. And as important as mission is, mission is not the end goal, but rather Jesus glorified is. Earlier in this high priestly prayer, I believe Pastor Tom preached about it. Jesus prayed for himself that he would receive the glory that he had before the world began. And now we see it in here that Jesus will be glorified through his disciples and by extension 
through us. And let me tell you, there is no greater joy than the joy of Jesus being glorified. No greater thing can be said of us than, can be said of our lives than his life brought glory to God. She brought glory to God with how she lived. There is no greater thing that can characterize our lives than, than whenever they bring glory to God. I like this quote that uh, Edward Clink says, the scholar and commentator. He says, just as the flesh of Jesus was the place in and through which the glory of God was made known, so also now will the disciples manifest the glory of God as they bear his name and participate in his mission. By this, the church is called to glorify the Son of God. The honor and reputation of Jesus is displayed in the life of the church. And that is so true. Whenever we think of the phrase, give God glory, glorify God, when you stop and think about it, it's really kind of a funny phrase. Like, isn't God glory? Is he in need of some kind of glory that I have that he doesn't already have? I'm reminded of a few years ago, I was running errands with my daughter, Ellie, who was about five years old at the time. We went to Kohl's and we went to go uh, get something for my wife, Heidi. We found what we needed to get. And so then we're on the way to the checkout counter. And so as we're on our way, we're walking through the men's clothing section to get there. And so then out of the corner of her eye, she spots this t-shirt hanging on a rack. And she tugs at me and says, Daddy, that shirt would look so good on you. I'm like, oh boy, what did she find? So I look at the shirt. It's like, hey, that's, that's something I'd actually wear. And she's like, Daddy, can I please buy that for you? And me being the softy that I am, I couldn't say no to those eyes. And so I'm like, okay. So then she goes over and grabs the shirt off the rack. And then we go up to the checkout counter. And she she gives the, uh, the shirt to the cashier. She says, I'm buying this for my daddy. And so then I give her the money and she pays for my shirt. And then they bag it up. And then later she gives the shirt to me. Now understand this. My daughter was in no way in a place to be able to do something like that for me. That was only possible because she was my daughter, because I love her and because I gave her everything that she needed. That's what it is whenever we glorify God. God doesn't need anything that we have to offer, but he has given us everything. And so through our lives, we need to give him everything that we have, holding nothing back. And then we find that just as that gave me a great feeling as a proud daddy, whenever I got that t-shirt, we find that God delights in our praises, in our worship, in our offerings. You see, there's going to come a time when we're not going to need protection from sin anymore. There's going to be a time whenever we don't need to go out on mission and be a light in a dark world. But there's never going to be a time whenever we don't give glory to God. You see, everything has been building up to this very moment. Jesus glorified. There is nothing greater than whenever our God is glorified. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today. 
Trust in the Holy Spirit. Trust in his word. Know that he will protect you if you abide in him. And he will keep you. And he will use you for his glory. And from that, you will receive the greatest joy. Shall we pray? Holy Father, you are holy and righteous, sovereign, judge. And you are our Father, affectionate, gentle, patient, loving, compassionate. These two things work together so harmoniously. By your holiness, you protect us from the dangers out in the world. And with your love, you hold us close in warm embrace and sing over us, Lord God. So God, would you protect us as we go about the rest of this week, Lord? Would you protect us from sin, from every way that the enemy wants to cause us to fall? But may we trust in you and your grip over us, Lord. May we be a light in the dark places, that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Lord, forgive us whenever we have put our light under a bushel. May we take it out and shine it where it's needed. And Lord, may our lives bring you glory. May much be made of you, more of you and less of us, because that's what it's all about, God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Amen.